Shabbat shalom. I spoke with you last week about the atrocities in Paris. If you missed it and you want to see it, it's on our website, both the audio and the text. Consider this sermon Paris Part 2. I've dialogued with dozens of people since last week, including with leaders of the Muslim and Christian communities, and of course the Jewish community as well. It's been a humbling experience for me. I didn't anticipate that so many of our people, liberal Jews, liberal Christians, liberal Muslims, and just plain secular liberal people would emphasize not the centrality of free speech, but the avoidance of offensive speech. It goes without saying that no sane person justifies the attacks on Charlie Hebdo, but I had not anticipated so many qualifying statements. I had not anticipated how besieged religious liberals feel by the secular culture and the intensifying, ineluctable, intellectual assault on the philosophical foundations of religion itself. I had not anticipated how strongly secular liberals feel about not offending individuals and groups. I had not anticipated that for so many liberals, insensitive speech now seems to trump free speech. Freedom is the central Jewish value. We cannot understand Judaism without the exodus from slavery to freedom. Take away the slavery experience, and you have another religion, not Judaism. The context of the entire Torah is about slavery and freedom. Genesis is about how it came to be that the Jews ended up enslaved in Egypt. And Exodus through Deuteronomy is about how the Jews broke the chains of slavery and established the foundations of a free society. And then the Torah ends with the Jews on the other side never having reached the promised land of freedom. So we can begin reading all over again about the struggle for freedom, how difficult it is to maintain and to sustain. Freedom means the right to speak freely. The entire universe came into being through speech. God spoke and the world came into being. Freedom is not only the central religious value. Freedom is the central liberal value. In his classic essay on liberty, John Stuart Mill wrote, if all mankind minus one was of one opinion, and only one person was of the contrary opinion, mankind would be no more justified in silencing that one person than if he had the power, would he be justified in silencing mankind? We're all different. As our tradition states, look at the wondrous deeds of the Almighty One. God created so many human beings like minting coins, but unlike coins, each one of us is different. Human personality resists uniformity. Freedom embraces diversity and pluralism. Authoritarians 
and tyrants, pharaohs, fear diversity. They're afraid of words. They're afraid of thoughts. They distrust human uniqueness. They impose collective uniformity to destroy human individuality. As Churchill wrote, a little mouse of thought appears in the room and even the mightiest potentates are thrown into panic. Our differences, our variety, are what might, makes life interesting. Can you imagine how dull the world would be if we were all the same? Can you imagine how primitive the world would be if we were all the same? There would be little creativity in arts, music, literature, science, technology, any area of personal and social life. It is the fact of our differences that makes the world so fascinating and so progressive. All intellectual leaps, every breakthrough in human thought and industry resulted from someone breaking the mold, countering perceived and conventional wisdom, and thereby angering and offending many people. Some people have still not gotten over Darwin. Still, a century and a half later, Darwin still offends them. Every substantial advance of knowledge and invention is the result of liberty. Look at the unfree countries of the world. Look at the tyrannies. What contributions have they brought to humanity? What advances have they promoted? Does any progress emerge from them? As Einstein wrote, Without intellectual and individual freedom, there would have been no Shakespeare, no Newton, no Faraday, no Pasteur. There would be no comfortable houses, no railways, no wireless, no protections against epidemics, no cheap books, no culture, and no enjoyment of art for all. There would be no machines. If only it is only people who are free who create the inventions and intellectual works which to us moderns make life worthwhile. And thus, because we are all different, and it is our differences that make the world go round, enlightenment thinkers did not speak of offending people, they spoke of toleration. We must tolerate offensive speech, both because of utilitarian reasons. It makes the world a better place. And as a value in its own right, it is the mark of a free citizen in a free society. As Voltaire purportedly said, I do not agree with what you have to say, but I will defend to the death, your right to say it. In a passage that could have been written this week, John Stuart Mill wrote in 1859, in the minds of most religious persons, even in the most tolerant countries, 
The duty of toleration is admitted with tacit reserves. One person will bear with dissent in matters of church government, but not dogma. Another can tolerate everything short of Unitarian. A few extend their charity a little further, but stop at belief in God. Wherever the sentiment of the majority is still genuine and intense, it is found to have abated little of its claim to be obeyed. In other words, each of us has our own limits of what we think is in good taste. What is offensive, demeaning, or insulting. And for that reason, we restrict freedom of expression only under rare circumstances. Of course, not all speech is permitted. There are no absolutes in life. Everything is qualified and needs to be weighed against competing claims. All of life is about choosing, not only between the bad and the good, but between competing goods. For example, the good of giving a lot of money away to charity needs to be weighed against the good of not giving away so much money as to impoverish your family. Or as Isaiah Berlin pointed out, the good values of a nun must be weighed against the good values of a lover. Or as Victor Hugo wrote about in, in his masterpiece, Les Miserables, the good of following the law must be weighed against the good of feeding your sister's child who is on the verge of starvation. And in your own home as well, you must weigh the good of speaking to your partner words of constructive criticism versus the good of not speaking so much criticism as to unravel your marriage. And I would say the same thing to you about your relatives, your children, and your friends. Some speech is, of course, restricted by law. You can't falsely yell fire in a public theater. You can't libel or slander someone. Hate speech is not permitted because of the potential harm to society. So many of our debates in free societies revolve around this very question. What are the exceptions to the rule of free speech? And as Americans, we note that Europeans, with their unique history, might draw the boundaries more expansively in some cases and more narrowly in other cases than we would as Americans. But the point is that the boundaries need to be very broad. The rule is free speech. The exception is restrictions to free speech. And the goal is not for you to agree with my speech, but for you to tolerate my speech. For heaven's sake. The Supreme Court decided that neo-Nazis had the right to march in Skokie with full swastika regalia. That was pretty offensive to me. Not giving offense is an important religious concept. Kadma derech eretz et Torah, 
the obligation of derech eretz, of civility, courtesy, dealing with others in a decent way, preceded even the Torah, states our tradition. It was inherent in the creation of human beings. Judaism warns against the power of the tongue. We are instructed to respect the dignity of others, to uphold their honor, and to avoid shaming anyone. And for these reasons, I personally would not to contribute to a magazine like Charlie Hebdo, and in my daily interactions with people, I do the best I can to avoid giving offense. Still, in free societies, generally speaking, free speech trumps offensive speech. Respectfully, I do not agree with the Pope who said this week, you can't provoke, you can't insult the faith of others. Yes, you can. Should you is another matter. Would I is another matter. Or as that exemplar of enlightenment, the Turkish prime minister said yesterday, publishing insults is not freedom of expression. Yes, it is. It is precisely freedom of expression. It is the freedom of expression to express not what you want to hear, what doesn't get you mad, what doesn't offend you. If that is all it is, what doesn't offend you, what doesn't get you mad, what speech is left? If I had to wait for your agreement before I said anything, what is it exactly that I would say? I don't even agree with half of the things that I say. <laughs> Five million people sought to purchase the latest edition of Charlie Hebdo. Someone wants to read it. If it offends you, don't buy it. If it is not libel, slander, hate speech, or within some other constitutional category of restricted speech, it must be allowed. Is Charlie Hebdo more offensive than pornography that you can summon up with a click of a button? Is it more offensive than neo-Nazis marching in Skokie? For that matter, is Charlie Hebdo more offensive than the Turkish president's obscene assertions that Israel is worse than Nazi Germany? That is very offensive to me. Are we in the religious community so insecure about our beliefs that we cannot uh, tolerate aggressive and even offensive and demeaning challenges to our faith? Poor, vulnerable, delicate, fragile us. Don't offend us. We can't handle it. Darwin offends us. So we won't even teach Darwin in schools. Or we will place Darwin side by side other so-called theories of evolution. Challenges to religion should make us better irrespective of whether the challengers have our best interests at heart, or even respect us, or even like us. They should force us to think more deeply, 
to construct better arguments, to be more persuasive, more knowledgeable, more sophisticated in our beliefs. We mortal human beings should not take more offense than God. Why should we be concerned more about God's honor than God himself? Jewish tradition is replete with passages of human beings challenging God. Our tradition states that God wants us to prevail. God wants us to argue with the divine as Abraham argued with God. Our tradition tells us that God is often persuaded. Moses persuaded God to forgive the people after the golden calf. God wanted to destroy every last one of them. There is a spectacular midrash that on three different occasions, Moses spoke with God and the Holy One responded, You have taught me. Not only Moses, you have persuaded me, implying that God really wanted to be persuaded in the first place, but that you have taught me. You have taught God. I want you to prevail over me, says God. My children have won over me. My children have won over me. God laughs in the Talmud. Rabbi Nachmani taught, when Moses was engaged in writing the Torah, he came to the verse in Genesis, Na'aseh Adam, let us make man sovereign of the universe, said Moses. Why furnish excuses to heretics? By which, Moses meant, by use of the plural, let us make man, Na'aseh Adam, Moses said people might assume heresy, a plurality of gods, multiple gods. Right, God replied, whoever wishes to err may err. God is not as concerned as we are with error, heresy, and blasphemy. But God is concerned with the freedom of human beings. I have seen the suffering of my people and have heeded their outcry. Their cries have reached me. I have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. I will rescue them from the Egyptians and free my people from Egypt. And as we read in the Parsha of the Week, I will break the shackles of slavery and deliver you from bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to be my people and you will be my and I will be your God. And you shall know that I the Lord am your God who freed you from the slavery of Egypt. <laughs>